There are many ways people listen to vision, including through a PC at work. When you fire up your computer at work, go to vision.org.au slash listen and click the Vision or V180 Listen Live buttons. You can also catch the latest Vision National News Bulletin and enjoy a growing range of on-demand podcasts from the same page all while you work. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, always like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby on the uh, the issues of a political agenda for the coming week. And always good to welcome back to 2020 the National Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, Martin Isles. Martin, special welcome along. G'day, Neil. Good to be back. Uh, good to be back, Martin. And you're back, I guess, uh, in your hometown today in Canberra. And you've been in Perth on the weekend because the Australian Christian Lobby Conference in WA was in Perth. Give us a little, in a nutshell, update on what happened. Oh, well, it was a great day, I think. I mean, the theme was not ashamed, and it really was um, talking about, you know, the importance of uh, being unashamed in our faith. And uh, not allowing um, the uh, pressures of uh, a more difficult world to change that and take that away from us. And uh, I spoke on uh, Christ's words about being salt and light and Paul's words about being not ashamed of the gospel, but there was plenty of stories that came through. We had James Parker, a man who was once a homosexual activist, now follows Christ and is a remarkable guy speaking into that area, uh, along with uh, others who just had great expertise on so many of the cultural hot-button issues that Christians face and need to understand and engage with well. But it was a sellout crowd, uh, which was a great encouragement, which means we'll go even bigger next year. And uh, I think everybody there, the feedback we've had so far has been really overwhelmingly positive, Neil. And you've been having these conferences in various states. Uh, are there still some more ahead? Uh, what's in the the coming times? Any Any special conferences in particular states? Uh, yes, so we have coming up in August our Queensland State Conference. That'll be in Brisbane on Saturday the 17th of August. Uh, we did sell out, but we've actually doubled the size of the venue. So um, there are tickets now released available on the ACL website for that. Uh, and then tickets will go on sale pretty soon for our Sydney Conference um, on October the 19th. And that'll be a really big one, as it always is. And uh, we'll probably have an international speaker come to that as well. Okay, so there's something there, uh, acl.org.au, no doubt. You'll be able to get all the details for that Queensland conference on the 17th of August and the Sydney conference on the 19th of October. Uh, Martin, let me ask you about just a general reflection on how things are politically in Australia. Given the latest news poll has voters swinging in behind uh, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the latest sort of overall image that you might have of how things are going with the government settling in? I was just going to say, do we even believe polls anymore? Uh, well, that's, um, but... that's an interesting uh, aspect to actually bring to this because uh, polls have been so doubtful uh, that we might not put too much weight on them. But, uh, but there is uh, the continuing... Uh, uh, provision of these polls and the news poll, given that it's supposed to be the most reliable, uh, putting Scott Morrison uh, quite comfortably ahead. Anyway, back to your impressions overall. Well, I think it is a good rough guide still. So even if it's not quite on the money, we don't know. But uh, 
certainly uh, it, it, it swung back to the coalition. I think it was 53-47 in the coalition's favour, which are numbers like they haven't enjoyed for a very long time, Neil. And uh, that's not surprising. I mean, we all know the phenomenon of a honeymoon period for new governments. And I think we also know that Scott Morrison uh, is a very popular leader, a very popular individual, as much as some of the team might be on the nose. But uh, he's been clever in running a Scott Morrison-centred election campaign. And now he's running a Scott Morrison-centred honeymoon period. And so uh, everybody keeps seeing him. Everybody seems to like him. And here's the other thing. It's been pretty quiet. Uh, so I don't think either the government or the opposition expected to find themselves in the position that they're in. And so the government wasn't quite ready for government. They had unloaded all of their ballast on winning the election and then sort of like the dog that caught the car went, uh-oh, now what? And uh, in the opposition did not expect to be in opposition, so they also don't quite know what to do with themselves. So it hasn't been a very noisy period in politics at all. Um, in fact, most of the airtime has been taken up by by side issues, political issues, but side issues like Israel Folau and so on, so not the politicians themselves. And I think it is an enduring fact that usually um, no news from politics means uh, that the incumbent is favoured. Uh, and so people haven't really had a chance to turn off Scott Morrison or turn on to Anthony Albanese or think much at all. And so they all sort of think, oh, well, it seems to be going fine because I haven't heard much. Uh, and that's sort of where we are. Well, let's turn our attention to some of the activity that's happening around the states and uh, New South Wales. They had a sort of a similar type of uh, outcome with the New South Wales state election uh, where the Liberals uh, really uh, continued uh, in government uh, when they weren't expected to. And uh, it's interesting with the way that the abortion laws in New South Wales are different to uh, what's happened in you know, go further south into Victoria or go further north up into Queensland where there's been a decriminalisation of abortion. But New South Wales sitting in the middle there and has had a more conservative approach to abortion. But that may well be about to change. A new bill could be uh, in the New South Wales Parliament to decriminalise abortion. What are your thoughts on the latest developments there, Martin? Yeah, this is very concerning, Neil. Um, I mean, Queensland and New South Wales both uh, used to have abortion in the criminal code, um, and uh, so it was an offence to provide an abortion, for example, uh, although it wasn't really enforced, and abortion was, was available in both states. But it's just been a slightly more limited framework, of course, as you can imagine, compared to Victoria, where, um, you know, some years ago in Victoria, legislation was passed to make abortion completely legal right up to the point of birth, and so you can actually kill a baby that's perfectly viable and healthy and could be born and live a flourishing life. Um, and uh, the safeguards on that are, are next to none. You just need doctor sign-off and away you go, and it can be for um, uh, social reasons and all sorts. I mean, it's just open flatter. In fact, it's the most liberal, the second most liberal abortion regime in the world. I think in Canada would be worse where there's no law on abortion at all. Uh, it's just an open space. Uh, and then Queensland went and copied Victoria um, recently, and that's really tragic because the liberalisation effect of that is enormous and it's barbaric. Um, and now New South Wales wants to do exactly the same thing. That's going to be introduced as a bill, and unfortunately we understand that the Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, will support it in principle. Uh, it's a question of detail. Now, what people might not know is that um, Australia on this is, is really quite radical because if you go to Europe and you even go to uh, you know, countries that are often considered to be progressive like Germany or France or Belgium or the Netherlands, 
You find in their abortion legislation all sorts of things like mandatory counselling for women. Uh, and even in Germany, the counselling actually says in legislation must be for the purpose of uh, uh, investigating whether the life of the baby can be saved. Uh, or you get cooling off periods of six days and five days and three days in these jurisdictions. Uh, and all sorts of things like this. So there are safeguards in place which make perfect sense uh, in you know, what you'd say is a society where they say, well, we're very liberal and we think women should have a choice, but also we understand that uh, actually uh, women in these circumstances can often be facing challenging times and need other support mechanisms and may in fact not ultimately want to abort the child. They might want to do something else if they see that the help's available. So they legislate that kind of help into their, 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 pro, their, their uh, legislation and their regimes around abortion law. Uh, whereas in Australia, there is just an absolute unwillingness to consider any such thing like that. And uh, if you even propose a cooling off period or mandatory counselling or anything else, no, 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 no. You know, it's got to be women's rights all the way. But the reality is, um, I don't think many women want to have abortions at all. I think that there's a lot of people going into those clinics, as sidewalk counsellors will tell you, uh, that would take another way if they thought it was available to them if someone just came along and gave them the help that they were looking for because they tend to be in difficult circumstances. So I think it's unjust. Uh, I think it hurts a lot of women, but I also think, of course, it's completely barbaric uh, in relation to just how late-term babies can be killed uh, when otherwise they would go on to live healthy lives. So much lobbying to be done there, Neil. Uh, much engagement with the government and with the Premier herself, and I think much prayer to go into that to see if that law can be forestalled or severely watered down. Is this a time, Martin, for listeners to our conversation? And uh, we're all very much appreciative of the fact that uh, you've got your own representatives lobbying there in New South Wales on these sorts of issues. Uh, what ought listeners be thinking about how they can make a contribution here? Uh, is this a time to be in touch with your local MP? Look, I think it is. I think anybody who's living in the state of New South Wales should be in touch with their local MP and they should particularly raise alarm about the uh, fact that proponents of this bill have referred to Victoria and Queensland as sort of model jurisdictions. Uh, just how radical they are, uh, raise the fact, you know, that uh, there's no support for women in, in this legislation and raise the fact too that, you know, babies at late term, are, they can feel pain, they could go on to live good, healthy, flourishing lives. How can it be right uh, to say that we can kill them for the sake of convenience? I, I, would, I would definitely contact MPs and put the case forward. Martin, a completely different topic. Let me just change directions here. Uh, Shana Jack, the swimmer, well, she's failed a drug test and there is a certain sense in which we all feel very heavy-hearted when this sort of stuff happens, but uh, there's something that seems to be uh, more and more uh, where Australians are on the wrong side of uh, the idea of uh, whether it's actually proven or whether it's just the reputation we're gaining, uh, we're getting a reputation for being cheats rather than people who uh, have this sense of fair play and good sportsmanship. I wonder whether you have any reflection on the reputation of Australia when it comes to sport. And uh, given that, uh, you know, given that we might think of our heritage, our foundations as being a, a real a people, a sporting nation with great sportsmanship and uh, this idea of fair play, what are your thoughts about latest developments? I think it's really sad, Neil, to see this come to light. Um, I mean, you're right, there has been a couple of high-profile scandals. Uh, you think of the cricket team, for example. Uh, 
I was reading an article on this, actually, and I've forgotten the name of the swimmer, but he was an Australian swimmer and he was banned for 12 months because he missed three drug tests, which is never a good look. Um, but the trouble is you then have Mac Horton uh, going out and uh, doing a, a protest against uh, Sun Yang, uh, the Chinese swimmer who is accused of um, you know, being a cheat. But the difficulty with that is, of course, he was exonerated by the systems that they have in place uh, to to uh, review these things. And uh, now we're in a situation where Shana Jack has tested negative uh, and failed a drug test. And, of course, everyone's saying, well, she's entitled to due process, but see, it's the same due process that uh, might see her exonerated. And so I don't know. I felt I felt un, un, uneasy when, when Mac Horton was doing what he did. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's not a good look. And I think, you know, pride comes before a fall. And, and here we are. Um, it's a problem. I mean, your sporting and your sporting, uh, your sportsmanship is only as good uh, as, I suppose, the character of your sports people. And uh, I think it's it's a it's a bad reflection on Australia if our sports people are not people with the integrity and the character to do it by the rules. I I know Shana Jack has to go through a process now to uh, you know check what happened here, and you know we can't prejudge and we can't get too excited. Uh, and I trust and hope that uh, it's nothing to see here, move on, it's all good, it's just a mistake. Uh, but it doesn't look good at the start, I must say. It doesn't look good. And oh, I think we do need to reflect on our national character if this sort of thing starts to happen more and more and more. Uh, it's not good and it does reflect poorly on the sorts of people that we're putting out there that are cheating. Maybe it's just the overwhelming pressure as well that sports people face because Australia is a sporting nation uh, and Australia is a nation where we expect our sports people to do us proud and to win. Uh, to bring in, you know, to hit above their weight, as they have done for many, many years. Uh, and perhaps there's also a, a culture and a tradition there that puts uh, such immense pressure on these athletes that they feel they have no other choice. So that's another line of inquiry that would be worth looking at. Martin, I can't let you go without a quick update on what's happening with the freedoms legislation. We're talking about uh, freedom of speech issues, uh, freedom of religion. Uh, I know the Attorney General Christian Porter has uh, has said that the Israel Folau case is the sort of dispute that would be covered by the Coalition's planned religious discrimination protections. Uh, any thoughts on uh, the latest developments and, and how things might look for the uh, presentation of that sort of legislation into the Parliament? Well, firstly, I do think that Christian Porter might be wrong on his assessment uh, of the Israel Folau thing because he said it would be covered by an indirect discrimination law. And I don't actually think it would be easy to mount an indirect discrimination case in Israel Folau's case because the uh, particular policy that, uh, that they've applied to him doesn't seem to be relevant. You know, they've said, uh, you know, he's brought the sport into disrepute. Um, now, that's not a clause that's capable, just on reading it on its face, of disadvantaging a religious person. And for in an indirect discrimination case to be made, it has to be. They have to be able to read that and go, ah, this policy of general application is unfair because a person of a particular religion could be disadvantaged by it. Well, you don't see that when you read that policy. And so I'm not sure that the Attorney General's been entirely... Look, let's say he's made a mistake um, when he said that uh, and he's sort of hosing down the issue. I think there's more engagement. This shows me that there's more consultation that needs to take place. Uh, the Attorney General needs to be brought more up to speed with the issue. 
uh, and stakeholders need time to raise their concerns and make these points and talk this through. And there's legal experts, obviously, amongst that group. There's people like us amongst that group. We feel like we've had a preliminary contact with the Attorney General's office and with the drafters, but we feel like there's more that needs to be done. I mean, we, the, the, the fulsome consultation process with stakeholder groups hasn't really got underway. And so we're waiting for that to happen, hopeful that that will happen. And the main reason for that is not just because I don't think they've quite got their handle on all the issues as tightly as they could, um, but also because... Um, our early uh, contact with them shows that there's a willingness to listen, there's a willingness to uh, include some of these things or address some of these things or put some extra pieces in the legislation that would really help address the concerns of people of faith. Uh, and we just really want to continue to keep that conversation going. So it's consult, consult, consult phase. I hope there's not a bill next week because <laughs> there's more time that needs to run uh, before, uh, before it comes up. And that, that's sort of the situation that we're in. I would say this. Initial contact has been basically positive. Some of the public comments like that one have been a little concerning. We're just trying to bring those two things together, and I think they'll just take time. Uh, interesting uh, that you're saying the consultation is a little bit uh, a little bit wishy-washy here. That's what I uh, sort of sense that you're saying, because it's very well to say, uh, if you're the Attorney General, uh, Christian Porter, that we are consulting or that we're running private briefings, those sorts of things might lead us to believe that those are quite detailed private briefings and really getting the heartbeat of uh, organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby. But they've also promised these sorts of private briefings with churches and charities and other groups around the structure of these new laws. Uh, But you're saying it's been very, very uh, almost shallow at this point and uh, needs to be a little bit deeper because the government doesn't appear to be understanding the depth of the challenge here. Is this what you're saying, Martin? Uh, look, yes, I guess that's not a bad way of putting it. I mean, what I am uh, saying is that in order to satisfy the expectation that they've created, which is this consultation process you've just described, which would be so wide-reaching and so uh, full-on and so comprehensive, uh, they've got a little way to go. So we haven't got there yet. They have certainly consulted with all of the politicians within the party in a reasonable fashion. Uh, but uh, we got an early meeting because we rattled the chain a bit and said, hey, hey, come on, uh, you know, we've written you letters and you haven't replied, come on, come on, and we got in, and not many have so far, and it was only a preliminary meeting. There's quite a ways to go on the consultation. So if people were to see a bill come up in the immediate future or, or sort of in the next month or so, or, uh, they could reasonably assume that that consultation never happened. Uh, and uh, I guess we are trying to hold the government's feet to the fire just a little bit, to say, come on, you know, don't give up on us. Uh, we're just, we're cautiously optimistic, but aware that if they could walk away from this a little bit quicker than they should, they probably would, because it's not an easy policy area to deal with. And I hear what you're saying here too. While we might have been uh, experiencing a little bit of frustration that it's taken so long for the government to deal with issues of religious freedom, the fact that it is taking time might indicate uh, that there is more consultation that is underway and and that uh, hopefully with the uh, complexity and all of that sort of thing uh, that comes around this sort of legislation that the government will have a clearer picture by the time it does actually uh, say something and table something in the parliament. So uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing some more commentary from you on that issue and and just keeping abreast of what happens with that, Martin Isles. I'll point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website 
acl.org.au and uh, you'll find resources there and articles that uh, written by Martin around these sorts of topics that we're talking about today. And Martin, always appreciate your updates and uh, thanks so much for taking some time to share those with us this morning here on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.